Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Looking to bet on the NFL this season? There's no better place to wager than betonline.ag. From spreads to totals to player props, you can bet on anything and everything NFL at betonline.ag this season. BetOnline is the official provider of all betting lines used on the TDN Fantasy Podcast and the DraftNetwork.com. Go to betonline.ag and start wagering on the NFL, college football, and so much more right now. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy Podcast. Podcast. With your hosts Paige DeMakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Chris Hubert, Jamie Eisner, Jake Arians back. Once again, Draft Strategy Week continues. And I'm excited about this one, mainly because it's a format that has really started to come on the scene, I would say, in the last five years or so. Best ball formats are what we are discussing here on the program today. And we're getting into, Jamie, I know you've put together a list of of tips and we'll discuss them as a group. But I, I want you to have the floor here to explain to everybody, maybe somebody who is stumbling across this podcast, who's never played in a best ball format, who doesn't know what a best ball format is. Explain to them what they are getting themselves into when they get that invite and says, hey, join my best ball league. Draft and forget it. That is exactly what you are dealing with when you deal with a best ball format. It is large rosters, massive benches. And all you have to do is you draft your roster and that's your team for the year. There are no trades. There are no waiver wire pickups. There are no drops. There are nothing else there. You don't have to make roster moves. You are essentially drafting a team and whatever happens on a weekly basis. And in most leagues, it is one quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, tight end, and a flex. Um, A lot of times kickers and defenses are not included in these. They will take your highest scoring players at those positions on a weekly basis, and that is your score. So, for example, let's say you draft two quarterbacks, you draft Patrick Mahomes, and you draft Matthew Stafford, okay? So if week one, Matthew Stafford scores 30 points and Patrick Mahomes scores 29, you will get Matthew Stafford's 30 points. And if that flips the next week, it flips. So essentially, you get the highest scoring player at the eligible positions that will be put into your lineup, and you will get a score. And at the end of the year, whoever has the most points in the league, almost like rotisserie style, for those of you that are familiar with that format from the baseball world, will win. So uh, it is a very unique format. It is a great way for... Uh, to me, I look at it as a great way for beginners, a great way for a, uh, a palate cleanser for those that play in a lot of other leagues that maybe are more experienced. And it's a great way to play in these preseason tournaments for money uh, because a lot of us want to spend a lot of time focused on either our home league, our keeper league, our dynasty league, but we still want to kind of get in on some of the action. You could take all the research you're doing for draft season, draft a best ball team in one of these tournaments on whether it's underdog or any of these other uh, formats now. And really kind of enjoy yourself and have a chance to win some money and have some rooting interest without having to be bogged down by the day-to-day, week-to-week ads, drops, trades, and all the other things that get involved in it. So that is what a very 500-foot view of what best ball formats look like. 500 is low level, man. Not 5,000, 50,000. James, 500. Like, we got in-depth with that. It reminds me of, like, that commercial. You guys are probably too young. Remember that thing? It was, like, the first rotisserie, set it and forget it. You guys ever see yeah. those commercials back in the day? That's like what this is. Draft yes. it, like James said at the very beginning, and forget it. Just set it and forget it and see how you did. Like you can come back without a whole lot of extra thought. 
Yeah, and Jamie, I think the point that you made of that this is great for, I think, beginners to the fantasy space is so important because I can't tell you as a seasoned fantasy player, not just in football, but in other sports, I can't tell you how many times I forget to make like a minor move on my team. Like, and I'm checking these things every day, and I'm like, oh, I'll get to this later in the day. I'll make this waiver move in fantasy baseball, and I never do it. So this is an opportunity where you don't have to do that. You don't have to check for injuries at the last minute on Sunday morning to make sure everybody's playing. The best players are the ones that are going to count. So now we've set the stage here. We have this. Now we can get into some of the tips. Oh, Jamie's got his finger up. One point I want to make is I don't want to make it sound like this is only for beginners. I think this is a great way for beginners in one sense to dip their toes into the fantasy space. Uh, For those that are more veteran players uh, like myself – I love it for, like I just said, the the dollar tournaments because the reality is is you're always asked to be in a lot of fantasy leagues. There are only so many leagues you can really, truly, fully pay attention to to make weekly moves any given season. So it's, to me, for somebody that you play in a lot of leagues, you have a lot of friends that play, or maybe you play in a work league and you have a keeper league and then you have your friends and your family. It's a lot of leagues. And the last thing you want to do is have another league that you have to worry about making roster moves and adding fab budget and doing all this and that this is a great way to kind of get yourself into more leagues with more friends that's low maintenance so you do so you can still have fun you can still have bragging rights you can still have your team in a little bit different styles and we'll go over with different strategies and types of players you will track and want to have in these leagues but doesn't require the the week to week uh, grind for lack of a better phrase that you really want to put into the leagues that you've been in for a long time, or maybe even your biggest money leagues. That's where your week to week attention wants to go. This can just kind of be a more fun experience. And if you're looking to join anybody's league and they want you to join a best ball, by all means, I would say join as many of these as possible because the commitment is going to be very low. Just like Jamie, how much of this falls into, I know it's not quite the same thing, but does some of the same rules apply for like the weekly fantasy stuff? Where you're just you're a lot of like it one does. week at a time and you're going to grab that hit or miss kind of guy. A lot of it does. Cause I, I think the mistake that a lot of people make is to change what you would normally think for a regular draft for best ball drafts. There are nuances. There are certain players or certain things you look for, particularly late in your draft. But for the most part, the good players are still going to be the good players. And you don't want to overthink these things too much in this format, but there are some nuances and some things you have to do because a, you can't pick up any players and B, you have to be mindful that basically your roster is your roster for the season. And that is where some of the differences come in. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, get stuck in between the two, right? So they're thinking it's still a head to head season format here in best ball. It's not your, your weekly daily fantasy where you're just drafting that team for that week trying to win the money that week, right? With sports gambling going crazy and more and more states getting involved. I think some people get stuck between best ball being that and not a season-long format. You're still trying to win your head-to-head matchups. And, and Jamie, I think it's interesting because we talked about, a little bit about this on the um, the auction draft strategy show, and you talked about how one of your tips was don't freak out so much about your draft because the moment your draft is over, you now have – you know. That's that's phase one. Then you have phase two where you're constantly making moves throughout the season. There's more of an increased emphasis on you better you better get the draft right here in these best ball formats. You better make All the sure emphasis. like this is it. You, you got to get it done here. Uh, and so I think you, you talk about how the draft strategy, there are nuances. I think it changes your risk tolerance that you're able to have here in these best ball formats when you're when you're when you're drafting. You yes, you have deeper teams and it allows you to build a team that maybe has a couple of risks, but you got to be sure that if you're going to put a guy on your roster, he's going to be able to score points for you. Because if you have a guy that's just going to sit there and not play for half the season, you're putting yourself in a really bad spot. 
Yeah, and look, there, there's there's a lot of different things to go into, and I think we can kind of jump right in here with some of the different uh, different topics that we can talk about that are specific to best ball leagues. But the thing you always have to remember is you it's, you want to shoot for upside, but you have to remember when you shoot for upside in your draft mm-hmm. because ultimately you still you not only do you need to win every week, like Jake said. The reality is, in a lot of fantasy leagues, if you if Jake beats his opponent by a half a point, that counts the same as if Jake beat his opponent by twenty or two hundred. Not the same here. You're trying to score as many points as humanly possible every single week because every point matters because you're going to get counted for it every week. Because you're not trying to go one and oh, you're trying to put up thousands of fantasy points over the course of the season. So there is there is a risk factor that goes involved there. And, and look, to me, is I looked up this information uh, courtesy of our friends over at Underdog last year of the roster construction because this is the biggest question you get in your leagues is how many players, because you, you have starting players, but not really your starting players will just be the highest scoring players at that position. How many players should you draft everywhere? So looking at last year's winners of the best ball formats at underdog, the two most common winning roster constructions that won a little bit more than 25% of best ball leagues last year was one of these two. It was two quarterbacks, six running backs, eight wide receivers and two tight ends or the same thing, but going three quarterbacks and seven wide receivers. So the pretty overwhelming roster construction is either two or three quarterbacks, six running backs, seven or eight wide receivers, and two tight ends. That was that won 25% of best ball leagues last year. Um, if you want to go with two quarterbacks and add a third tight end instead of a third quarterback, put those together and that won almost 37% of best ball leagues on underdog. Now, it's not that simple. It's not that you just draft one of those two roster constructions and you're going to win. But it's something interesting to consider because you have to be – this will go into point number two and then we'll circle back. You have to be cognizant of bye weeks, particularly at quarterback and tight end. You have to remember that you're playing every single week to get the most points possible. So if you draft three quarterbacks with the same bye week, you're going to get a zero at the quarterback position for a week. And that's going to hurt you because everybody else is going to have 20 to 30 points of advantage of you just on that one spot. Keep in mind, if you draft even two quarterbacks with the same bye week and have a third quarterback, that you're then beholden to whatever that third quarterback ends up scoring that week and hoping that they're healthy and hoping it's a good week. That's not to say if you get two elite quarterbacks that have the same bye week that you don't draft them, but it's something to be cognizant of and particularly understand that where those advantages come in because at the quarterback and tight end position, you likely only have two or three players that you're drafting in each of them. I would not advise you drafting more than two or three players at those spots. So be very, very aware of when those guys are going to be off because those are going to have direct impacts where you're going to have enough wiggle room if you draft you know, six or seven running backs or seven or eight wide receivers. You'll have enough wiggle room to likely maneuver bye weeks unless you get really ridiculous and draft like five players at the position with the same bye week, uh, which is fairly unlikely to happen. So just be very cognizant of bye weeks at quarterback and tight end and be cognizant of roster construction, which to me is two or three quarterbacks Two tight ends is my preferred. I like to go three QBs. Uh, I got to go three QBs, six running backs, seven receivers, two tight ends. That is my preferred strategy here uh, because I, I think that's your best case scenario because the quarterbacks are always going to be the highest scoring players in your league. And I want to maximize the potential that I get a 25, 30 point week from that position. So I think it is worthwhile to get to that third quarterback. But those are the two formats that have had overwhelming success, at least last year in underdog best ball leagues. How much do you pay attention to? You'll see a lot of people pairing that top receiver with that top quarterback, right? So whether it's if you're going to go 
Patrick Mahomes or you go on Travis Kelsey? Do you pay a little bit more attention to that in, in this format, Jamie, or less? Probably less. Like I, I think because stacking is so popular in DFS, I just don't think it necessarily applies here. Like I wouldn't change a player's ranking if you want to use it as a personal tiebreaker. If you have two players ranked exactly the same or very close to each other, and you're like, well, you know, I, I'm going to make this pick this player because I have the quarterback. I think that's fine, but I wouldn't move any player up my rankings just because you have another player from that team, or conversely, move them down. Like I get this question every single year. You know, I already have, you know, I drafted Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey with my, uh, let's say I drafted Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey at the turn. Uh, should I draft Clyde Edwards or Lair or should I draft Patrick Mahomes or should I just avoid all Chiefs? I wouldn't avoid all Chiefs. I wouldn't change my rankings of a player just because the other players on your team are good. Uh, it, it's this like mental game that we play ourselves. Nobody in the world knows what your fantasy team is. Like Patrick Mahomes isn't going to be any better or worse just because you drafted more of his teammates. The risk there is, I understand, is if this team has a bad week, your fantasy team has a bad week. But that risk isn't necessarily mitigated by having worse players on your roster. Like, So to me, I, I don't change any of that uh, in this. The only case that you would change it, which would be if you had bye weeks, which if you're on the same team really shouldn't matter because you're more worried about having two quarterbacks and two tight ends on bye weeks. So uh, I, I don't think you have to stack. I know people like to stack players. Uh, there's there's a lot of research been done on, on stacking players and DFS and all the other stuff, but I don't think it really applies as much as people like to think it does. I think it's a mentally fun to watch your quarterback and wide receiver both go off in the same game, but I don't think statistically it's any better uh, if you're reaching on those players versus just getting the best players on so your I'm going to throw a scenario out to it because I agree with you. I I'm not a huge – I don't change the rankings to try to do that. Say this fell to you, right? So you go Tom Brady, Mike Evans. You got Matthew Stafford, Robert Woods. And you're going to take a flyer and go Jalen Hurts and then like Jalen Rager, right? So you stacked it three times in this format. So you at least one of those three you would think is going to hit if they have a big deal. I'm just thinking like Deshaun Jackson back in the day, I would want on my team in this format, whether I drafted him at the right time or not. But if say you stacked all three, if that scenario say it fell to you, I mean, I don't think that's highly likely, but if you made that fall in your, in your favor, is that an advantage or disadvantage or does it not really matter? Because I think a lot of people will say, oh, I'm going to go right to trying to stack a couple of these and one of the two is going to hit every week. I don't know that you're better off than having Matt Stafford and Mike Evans and whoever and who at right. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's any better. Uh, I, I think you follow, trust your rankings, whatever that might be, because the reality is, is especially in any sort of PPR format, it doesn't take much for wide receivers to have a big game and quarterbacks not to have a big game. You know what I mean? Like if, if you look at a lot of scenarios, you could have, you know, maybe not Mike Evans because he, 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 his volume of touchdowns really helps him, but there are receivers out there that can go have a really nice game, have eight catches for 88 yards or something and no touchdown and have a quarterback score 15 fantasy points. Yeah. So there doesn't necessarily mean that just because the wide receiver is having success that the quarterback's going to be having success fantasy relevant wise. I mean, touchdowns are such a huge factor for the quarterbacks as is rushing. So I don't think it's any advantage. I, I wouldn't change my rankings on any of these players because they're no more likely to have success. And, you know, what if Tom Brady has a big Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown game and Tom Brady goes off, but Mike Evans has, you know, two catches for 13 yards and a touchdown and doesn't end up making your top. Yeah, I think the opposite is that we talked about Stafford a bunch saying I can see Robert Woods having eight for 90 almost every week. That didn't mean yeah. Stafford's having more than 15, 16, because they might run it a ton that week, right? Yeah. I just want to yeah. throw that so, out there. I think people automatically that like the stack would go, Ooh, I'm going to try to do that across the board and hope one of those pops every week. That's a great hope, but you're better off taking a higher rated receiver that's with a different quarterback 
just because I can see people want to take a, like a flyer on Jalen Hurts in his format late. Yeah. When you're your third quarterback, so he's going to pop every now and again and go for 30. But that doesn't mean you want to stack him with Devontae Smith or Jalen Rager or somebody. And, and here's like to put it in a one liners like I'm not avoiding stacks, but I'm not prioritizing them either. If they happen, they happen. And the, but I don't think there's. I don't think there's an inherent advantage to stacking players or an inherent disadvantage as long as it comes at their value for you. If you are reaching to make a stack, then I think you're losing value. If it falls to you and it happens, like there's a scenario where like you could re- – I mean there's a very realistic scenario where you where a team could go – like I just – I talked about earlier, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes in the first three rounds. I mean it's possible. Or Tyree Kill, Patrick Mahomes, Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first three rounds. It's doable. And if that's how the draft falls, I don't think that you're at an advantage or a disadvantage in this scenario. But I also don't think you go and target it. I don't think you go and reach multiple rounds to make things like this happen. Jamie, I have a question for you, and I don't know if this is on your list of of strategy formats. It is the official position, I believe, of this program uh, running back in the first round, right? The the official position uh, of, of this show. Does that still apply in best ball? Are you still is, is in yeah. terms of positional breakdown? You are advocating running back first, then you talk about wide receiver, tight end, quarterback, that kind of stuff. I, I don't. So I don't think any of my current rankings that you can check out the draftnetwork.com all updated and fancy now this week as of yesterday. None of that changes until you get to about the maybe the midway point of your bench, because I think that's the biggest mistake that gets made in best ball, where people will fall in love with players that aren't as good because of the, the perceived upside and you need upside on your team, but you need upside on your bench spots coming into this draft. You don't, you still want to take the best players in the league. So I don't think barring, you know, any weird scoring changes, uh, there's no reason to draft any differently in the early rounds of a best ball league versus any other draft. I know that's not what you'll, you'll hear a lot of places because I think that stuff gets overvalued. Because the reality is, is these star players you're taking in the first four, five, six rounds, in theory, if you are correct on these players, should be your quote-unquote starters every single week and should score as such to be in your lineup. So I, I think taking reaches or taking chances there, I wouldn't do. So I really wouldn't change my strategy unless there's some weird scoring or weird uh, position settings for your particular league. I would draft this, particularly the first eight, nine, 10 rounds, very similar to how you would draft any other draft with that sort of score. All right, so I'm going to go a little microeconomics on you instead of the macro there. We're going to shrink it down a little bit more. So if you get the tie break, right? You're in round four, you like two guys. I think this show is always, look, give me the high floor guy that I know I'm getting something, right? Instead of the, the peak. If you have a tie break between two guys and it's a high floor guy and a high ceiling guy, which way are you leaning there? I say it depends on the position. So I'm going to, I'm no, going to accept right now that. My no, don't give me, it depends. Well, Chris, wait, wait, Answer wait, the wait, question. Chris, Chris, can I finish? Sure. Thank you, Chris. I'm trying to look at my rankings and find an example so I can pull up, I look at a player and specifically explain what my thought process is. So um, I'm trying to find one right now. Okay. So here's a good one. So wide receiver 26 in my rankings versus wide receiver 27 in my rankings. Okay. It's right now 26 is Julio Jones. 27 is Juju Smith-Schuster. Okay. I think that's a good example of high ceiling, high floor type of option. If I'm in that spot, I'm going to feel more likely to want to take Julio Jones there knowing that I can come away and mitigate some of his injury risk by the fact that I'm going to have a bunch of receivers on my roster that can replace him for a couple weeks 
and only get the best scores versus having to scour the waiver wire and know I'm going to have to replace him with somebody I don't like. Um, and I'm going to say I'm hoping that he's going to get those 20, 25-point games here or there that help me really get uh, an advantage over my opponents in the league. But I also – but again, we're talking guys one spot apart. I would not take, for example, Julio Jones, who is my wide receiver 26, over my wide receiver 22, Deontay Johnson, or 21, Tyler Boyd, who are all both considered higher floor options. So um, to me, it's if it's truly like a tie break, if it's truly like guys that are one spot apart in your rankings, um, and assuming you haven't already invested in a lot of high upside, low floor guys or injury risk guys already, sure. But I also wouldn't change it. I wouldn't put anybody up multiple spots in my rankings for best ball. At, at, in the early rounds, I should say. Moral you do story want to take chances is don't late. change anything early. Yes. Right. And I and I think that's kind of where I wanted to take this conversation is, it, Jamie, I, it might be arbitrary, but is there a point where your mindset should shift? Is there a specific round? Is there Because the way that I envision this is – the early going, you're drafting the way that you're drafting in any other fantasy format that, that we would discuss here on the show. And you're trying to create your, I'll use this term, it's probably a, a bad one, your core, right? You're trying to create yeah. your core group of players that you're going to rely on every week, right? You probably want two running backs. You want two wide receivers that you know on a given week, there is a floor that these guys can give me. And then at that third, with, the, with those third wide receivers, with that extra running back, with your second quarterback, those types of positions, you're trying to potentially find some value to where if, if those guys have a good week, now it's a bonus in addition to my core, right? I've created a core yeah. with a floor of points that I know I'm going to get every week, and then I mix and match the rest. So at some point, your mindset has to change to, okay, I feel comfortable with the group I've created here. Now I want to go with a little bit more upside, take a little bit more risk, because if those guys hit, now my core explodes yes so to me that is after you make 10 or 11 picks in the round so most leagues most best ball leagues you're going to start where i guess you should say a standard best ball league you have one quarterback two running backs three receivers a tight end and a flex and that is your starting group every single week i want to have that um i want to have the receivers and running backs quarterback and then the very top of my bench the top two or three of my bench and tight end locked in and at that point then like, that's why I talk about the middle of your bench because you're going to have what, eight to 10 bench spots. Uh, middle of my bench is when I start to shift that mentality where I start to go, okay, what is the scenario in which uh, this player will end up ranking and scoring enough points for me to crack my starting lineup? And I think that is when you have to kind of flip the gear there. When you have your core set, as you said, Chris, and you have the top of your bench set because you have to realize that you might be wrong about a couple of those guys. There might be injuries, bye week. So you want to make sure the top of your bench is still the best possible players available in general. But then you start to get to the middle rounds or the middle of your bench, and that's where you have to start pushing some of those mid-level, high-floor, five or six fantasy points, seven fantasy points per game guys to the wayside, knowing that they're, those guys are are – Valuable to have in redraft, they're not as valuable here because there is a very low chance that they're going to ever crack your lineup with those points. That's when you want to start to look for players that have that high upside or they're not starting now. They might be starting midseason. Rookies, for example. Guys that might be starting the year uh, injured. Guys that you know are in the Deshaun Jackson mold. of you're, They're probably only going to make your top score maybe twice that year, but those two times might be really valuable to you. That's when that mental switch flips for me. Once you get to the middle middle to late part of your bench where you're going, 
what is a what is the um, realistic scenario that any of these players actually get into what my quote unquote starting lineup is going to be on a weekly basis? I have another question for you, Jamie, and I know that you have a list to work off of, but if so, if you want to go to your list, we can, but I do just have another question for you. And it's an interesting discussion point specifically with quarterbacks. What do you do? And I'm not asking you in terms of like, I need you to have an answer because you're an expert. I'm just opening it up because I'm thinking about this for discussion. What do you do with a Justin Fields, a Trey Lance, a rookie quarterback like that, that you don't know when they're going to start. You don't know when they start to become valuable for you because Jamie, it's easy in redraft formats. I'm going to draft a guy. I'm going to put him on my bench and if, if I see that he's not going to play for a little while and I need to make a move because of a bye week or an injury or something, okay, see you, Trey Lance. I'm going to pick up Ryan Fitzpatrick off the waiver wire, right? There's an easy solution. But the moment you take Trey Lance or Justin Fields, you're now committed to that's going to be my backup quarterback or that's my guy that I'm going to lean on if my, if my starter gets hurt or they have a bad week or something like that. So how do you, do you change the way you view that, those rankings? Do, do you adjust for that? Not really. Be because they're both only, right? I mean, they're both, your, you're both drafting them in QB two territory, which is the same spot you'd be drafting them anyway. The only difference there is I think if you commit to any rookie quarterback, that's not Wilson or Lawrence right now, you're committing to drafting three quarterbacks. Like that, that is, I think that would be the only thing that okay. you would change. Um, you're not drafting any of those guys as your QB one. So, I mean, that's, so you've, I'm at this point, I'm presumed you already got your QB that you like, then right. you're taking a rookie at, in that second spot. And then you'll take somebody at three. That's the only difference. I think if, if you're committing to drafting a Mac Jones or a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields, you're committing to grabbing, doing that roster construction that has three quarterbacks, which is fine. Um, and right, I think, by the way, you just have to make that adjustment, it's got to be your I, third I that, guy, right? You do that with your yeah, because I, quarterback pick. Well, I think you're going to be forced to take them as your second quarterback pick. And then you're going to come because of where the hype around those guys. Well, maybe not Mac, but the other two guys where the hype is. But then you're coming back around and maybe you're getting a Derek Carr and you're getting or you're getting a Ben Roethlisberger or you're getting somebody like that where they're going to essentially be your QB, your actual QB, two until those guys come in to play. But the reality is, is this is when you take a chance on the rookies because odds are if you the quarterback you drafted, you QB1, you're going to really like early in the season. Like if you drafted a Brady or a Tannehill or a Mahomes or a Russell Wilson or somebody like that, you know, at that point, it's going to take a lot to get those guys out of your lineup. And I think that's the key part where, you know, if you're waiting on quarterback, it's a little bit more risky because there's a, you're going to need that backup quarterback to be in contention for you sooner. But if you have a top quarterback, like what are the chances that aside from a bye week or an injury that you're going to take any of those guys out of your lineup? So, I mean, that that's kind of where you put some of those guys in, in that spot, man, that feels risky. That's why I like, I like this, <laughs> this chat about this format. Yeah. Cause this, I get into like, if I, if I'm gambling in Vegas, I'm a little different. I'm a little older now. My original thought was as long as I could out drink my losses with free beers or whatever, that I'm really <laughs> winning. So oh. it wasn't real risky going like $5 blackjack. Right. I'm not playing $50 a hand back in the day. I really don't do that now, but it's like, okay, where's that risk mitigation here yep. compared to a regular league? To me, that felt risky. There's no way I do that only like third, but I'm not big on playing those, taking that flyer on those rookie quarterbacks. Anyway, they got a lot of hype, but we could really easily break down Justin Fields performance the other day. The hype doesn't really match the entire game. You were there live. I'd, I'd love to do that yep. sometime, but like that felt risky talking about that to me. Like that gave me a little whew, anxiety feeling of I could make this, roster much more comfortable 
I think that gets into that floor ceiling conversation of what you like to do in your regular format versus this. And I don't know that it's that different the more we talk about it. Uh, Jamie, a- anything else or what else is left on, on your list of things here? We've kind of gone just all over the map and all over the place, but I don't know if there's any other bullet points that you want to make sure we get to. I mean, we pretty much talked about the main ones, uh, the roster construction, bye week paying attention, f- taking flyers late. So I figured a good way to cap this off is to take a look at some just some players at each position um, that you would, and we talk about the middle to late rounds of your draft that you might want to prioritize uh, in general or, or are better players in best ball than regular format. Because we've talked about that when you flip that switch. Okay, well, who are we talking about? So I want to throw a few names at you from last year, and then I want to throw a couple names at you at every position based on my rankings this year. So okay. uh, shout out to uh, Mike Taglier at Fantasy Pro. So he does really good work, and he does a, a yearly series called Boom Bust and Everything in Between where he's basically looking at uh, how often a particular player booms, which is a, depending on position, either somewhere between 20 and 25 fantasy points per game, how much they bust at the position, and trying to look at some level of consistency. So I wanted to pull some players that are going late right now that had a at least fairly notable boom percentage last year, and that we can talk about. Um, one of them, uh, at, I tried to find guys at, at different positions. So Baker Mayfield was one. And he's a guy that I'm, I'm a little bit low. I'm lower on in redraft, but makes a little bit more sense as like a QB three in this format. Uh, a boom for a quarterback was defined as 26 fantasy points. And Baker Mayfield was able to do that in 18.8% of his games last year. Now, there's a bus factor that gets involved here too, but it's not as important in best ball. So this is why you talk, talk about getting some of these guys where the bus percentage is why he's so low for me in redraft leagues, but why he can continue to be an interesting asset in best ball formats. Uh, Naeem Hines, a guy going fairly low as well, boom percentage, uh, which is for running backs defined as 25 fantasy points or more, 12.5%. Other running backs that are in that kind of like 8, 9, 10% range were handcuffs. And that's also a position you have to start to consider late in your draft and not just your own handcuffs. You know what I mean? Just because you don't draft Alvin Cook, just because you don't draft Kishner McCaffrey, just because you don't draft Zeke, doesn't mean they're any more or less likely to get hurt. So mm-hmm. if they get I think hurt, there's a great breaking point. Do you put more yeah. emphasis on handcuffs in this format? Yeah. It's primarily other people's than yours than you yes. would normally. Uh, so I understand handcuffing your own guys, and that's fine. And, and there's no issue with that. But I also think it's handcuffing other guys gets ignored. Like yeah. I understand because one of them is insurance, one of them's a lottery ticket for lack of a better phrase. If I if I have Dalvin Cook and I draft Alexander Madison, Madison, that is an insurance policy on my Dalvin Cook investment. However, if I draft Dalvin Cook and then I draft Tony Pollard, I'm taking a lottery ticket on somebody else's Zeke investment. Because the reality is, is I understand the insurance policy. If like I invested all this capital in Dalvin Cook, I need to make sure that if he gets hurt, I have somebody to throw in there. Perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with that. And by the way, you can do both. You can draft Madison and Pollard if you want. But I think sometimes it's just like I'm only going to draft my own handcuffs. You don't have to because if Zeke goes down, Tony Pollard just starter in all formats for every league. So now you have Dalvin Cook and Tony Pollard in your lineup. That's and, and, and probably another solid running back. That's a nice advantage. So I'm saying don't forget about handcuffing other people's running backs too. And again, especially in leagues like this, because I would put more of a priority on it because you have such a large bench. The mm-hmm. biggest thing that holds me back from doing it in redraft is you have limited bench space and you're going to need to move guys around. And you're going to have bye weeks and you're going to have all these issues where, you know, you don't want to be sitting there during a bye week and having to either 
and drop a player you really don't want to drop because you're holding on to a handcuff just so you can fill out a lineup. And you don't have to worry about that here. Now, that doesn't mean you fill your entire bench with handcuffs, but if you, like to say, let's say you missed out on your own guy, I, I wouldn't be, I don't have any issues filling, dedicating even two bench spots to handcuffs in, in this league and maybe even three if you're feeling frisky. I, that's, that's a lot, but I would say two handcuffs I'd be perfectly okay with uh, in this type of a format because there is always a chance. A.J. Dillon, for example, any of these players that are the clear number two option for their team if something happened to their starter that has a massive workload awaiting them, and we know those players at this point, um, you got to do it. What about uh, I the think there's, there's a lot of value. Jamie? It's not a handcuff, but it's a true one, too, with, with Ronald Jones, Fournette, and then you got to throw in yeah. Geo now. But, like, they're all going to get points every week. Would you rather handcuff somebody else's than take a chance on that? That's like, And that's all not, yeah, four, because – But none of them – but they could pop, like, if, with, when playoff Lenny happened, when Rojo went down, like, that could be a thing. I don't know how much I emphasis I'd put on that, though. Those guys that are true – split time guys yeah I'd rather go handcuff somebody else's player and take that risk not risk but kind of right the up, try yeah, to take a low floor guy the split carries guys are just they're going to be going higher than that because like both fournette and jones are going higher than like pollard and madison for right. example so you're gonna you're kind of having to pay partial starter prices for those guys uh so uh, to me that's i, I think actually, by the way that brings up another great point split split backfields suck even more in this format than you that's usually. what it feels like so uh, it is what it is, but it's just it, it's not ideal because essentially because you can't handcuff it because like like you can like having a, a like Ronald Jones handcuffing Fournette or vice versa or whatever you think that order is, but you're already kind of paying a little bit of a premium for that already where you're, like, you're getting Madison and Pollard and, and some of these other guys so so much Chuba Hubbard are going so much later like you're investing no draft capital to to add go these back guys to what to Chris said team. in the beginning we're all usually running back first round heavy. So you can yeah. do that later and you're not paying a premium in the fourth or the fifth when you can get receivers later that actually can be a lot more valuable here. That's it kind of hit me as you were talking about that, that these split carry guys really kind of suck more than they normally do. Yeah. Again, I'm okay with guys like that. If they're the top end of your bench, the way it works out, knowing that, okay, there's a chance these guys are going to start for me in bye weeks, but they're not the upside plays. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, some other names from last year that boomed uh, wide receiver, Brandon Cooks, 20% of the time. Marvin Jones. Hello. 18.8% of the time. Uh, Alan Lazard, 10% of the time. Um, so guys like that, again, going significantly later in drafts. Now I know Cooks got a different quarterback this year and so does Marvin Jones, but I, you know, but Marvin Jones is going to actually probably have a bigger role. Uh, Anthony Ferkser was an interesting one last year, boomed 6.7% of the time, even with John U. Smith there. Um, and Jimmy Graham last year, 12.5%. So those are the kind of names that you got late last year that boomed. For me this year, uh, the guys that I looked at pretty closely, that I, I, I got two guys at each position, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on these, as guys that are going really late that are basically free in best ball formats. I literally looked up their current ADP underdog today, Wednesday, August 18th on them, um, it, and went really deep and said, these are guys like the last spot on your bench or last two spots on your bench that get really interesting for me. At quarterback, if you're looking for a QB3, Jared Goff, who's QB30 right now, and Tyrod Taylor, QB36 uh, in ADP. There are going to be games just on pure volume alone that Jared Goff is going to get you and not you need to get. And it's not going to be on a weekly basis, and I know the weapons aren't great, but that team sucks. And they're going to have to throw the ball a lot. And Jared Goff's basic value in fantasy over the number last few years, even with better weapons in L.A., was he's just going to volume his way into the top 20. 
just because he's going to throw yeah, the ball so for often. 500 one week with five touchdowns. Yeah. Might throw six picks with it, but that doesn't hurt. But you don't care. Like, and in terms of as, as a QB three that you can get with like your last pick, uh, I'm all about, you know, Jared Goff is going to, again, guys are going outside the top 25 quarterbacks right now. Jared Goff, the QB 30 really intrigues me. Tyler Taylor, QB 36. Deshaun Watson's not, not going to start for the Texans this year. I, I don't know what people are still waiting for in this Texan situation, but Tyrod Taylor is going to be the week one starter. He's been a very competent fantasy starter ever since he's got those opportunities. There are some weapons there. He's not going to be phenomenal, but I think he's going to be a guy that is consistently inside the top 25 on a scoring basis on a weekly basis, and especially when him running the ball around a little bit. Uh, him going outside the top 35 Q- QB scare is strange to me. Like, I, I don't understand w- what this adjustment period needs to be. Davis Mills isn't ready yet. Uh, I'm I'm shocked to see him this low. And as somebody that is going to pop on certain weeks, like he popped back in Buffalo. I know that was a handful of years ago, but with his rushing ability, I would not be surprised if two or three times a year he's crossing that 20, 20 plus point threshold and actually makes his way into your top spot in best ball formats. Um, a couple running backs I want to mention uh, Salvin Ahmed going right now is the RB 65. Uh, he, they really like him there. He's used all over the field. He had another, he caught a, he caught a big pass. In the Saturday's preseason game, caught another huge pass in their their team practice drills today against I don't can't remember who they're playing against today. One of the other teams, one they're practicing against, but he's somebody too with Miles Gaskin's injury history. Malcolm Brown is just a guy. He's going to get some short yardage. He's going to get some goal line. If something happens to Miles Gaskin again, like he did last year, we already have evidence that Salvin Ahmed is going to be the guy, and he can have some success in that role, particularly in the first two downs. So I like him a lot right now, going outside the top sixty running backs. Tevin Coleman, uh, running back 56 for the Jets. He's been banged up right now because he's Tevin Coleman. But when he's on the field, uh, again, you're talking about a, like a, a late flyer on a guy. I think he's going to be the lead back. Uh, he's got chemistry with Mike LaFleur. They know what they want. to. He knows that offense very well. They've sung his praises. I think he's going to be the quote-unquote lead back or at least get half the share when he's out there. So for somebody that you can pretty much get in the last couple of rounds, he's somebody that really intrigues me at the running back position. Before I get to pass catchers, Chris, Jake, any thoughts on those guys? Any any other quarterbacks or running backs that come to mind for you? So, so I, I want to break here. <laughs> no, no, I wanted to I because I I you were talking about quarterbacks and then you transitioned to running backs really quickly. So I want to go back and, and touch on something that you were talking about with Baker Mayfield. Is I think it's so it's so important to note that the percentage I think you said was like eighteen percent was he was a boom candidate. And you said in, in, he was also a little bit of a bus candidate, but the 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 way you look at a guy like Baker Mayfield is the only time he hurts you in this format, the only time he's a negative for you is if the rest of your quarterback room also has a bad week. That's the only way in which Baker Mayfield hurts you. It's if everybody is bad in that room. Everybody has a bad week, and so you're taking Baker's bad week, which is 14 points or 15 or points. Or it's your QB1's bye week, and he right. lays an egg as your QB1 that week, and your three doesn't do anything. So it's it, these are very specific scenarios that have to play out for you to really realize the bust potential in a player. Because the weeks that, that Baker may not have, we'll use him as the example here, that Baker may not have that those boom games, they might not hurt you because who your quarterback one is. And you never Correct. have to think about it. It's never a concern to you. Don't have to worry about the weather. You know you know that if right. there's going to be that torrential downpour and the lovely weather that it is Cleveland in the winter we all know about. You're just not, you know, okay, I'm going to take an L that week on him. But I have 
two other quarterbacks on the roster. Like it brings a lot what, of other guys into play. You normally wouldn't yeah. like, we're all, we're all bad. I'm not bad, but we all do this, right? We got guys we love that we want on our teams. We got guys we don't want to touch. Yeah. Like for me, like this brings in like Saquon, Saquon Barkley, Barkley in a place in the mix, where I'm not touching him normally. But when that thing gets healthy and they suck in December, he's liable to go for 40. I'm okay with that in this format. Like brings a lot of other guys back in play that I'm normally like, no, they're X, they're off my team. Yeah. I'm kind of liking that because we're not none of us are big on taking Baker in a regular format, redraft format. But here, I don't mind having him as a two. Yeah, and I think Jamie, that was my big takeaway when you were talking about both of these position groups, and it's going to be the same regardless. Is there there is there is risk associated with these guys, but the the, the only the only risk is on draft day what you're missing in terms of other players that you could draft because once you draft them during the season the only risk is the entire position group that you have has a down week and then you have to use that person or on a bye week that's when that guy has a bad week right that's when the risk then comes back into play so it's just like jake said it brings it brings in so many new elements it brings in so many new players that you normally wouldn't consider i I think you start to consider saquon barkley a little bit more than the three of us would normally consider because again if that ACL does bother him and he needs to, he doesn't have those big games. Okay. It doesn't hurt you. If you have a bunch of other guys on your roster that can have big games, it's not a negative because his points just won't count for that week. So it just changes the way you have to think. And I know for, for the three of us on this show, we are very steadfast in some of the guys that we will not touch that we just have no interest in drafting. And so now we kind of have to walk that back a little bit when having this conversation. The best way I can describe it is players that we knock for their massive inconsistency aren't knocked as hard here. Yeah. So there are certain guys who are like, we like them, but we know that we just, we can't, we don't feel comfortable starting them ever because we don't know the range of outcomes. You can Mm -hmm. then take the range of outcomes and average it and feel a lot better knowing that, okay, like I know he's not going to start for me most weeks, but the weeks he pops matter, but that's kind of where it comes in there. Like when Todd Gurley ends up in Seattle, I might take a flyer on that super, super late. I love that Jamie just. <laughs> I just well, because he because Jake just said it, and then he watched our reaction, and then he just smirked. There was just a smile as he put. He just said that on the show. That's a pretty good handcuff if Chris Carson goes down as much as Jamie loves Penny. Yeah, I think I'm probably gonna be more of a DJ Dallas guy this year now, but we'll see. Uh, wide receivers, uh, two okay. games that again uh, love this because I think they're going to pop three to five weeks a year and be fairly irrelevant. Most other weeks wide receiver 81 right now in best ball, KJ Hamler wide receiver, 86 Donovan people's Jones. Uh, I love what those guys can bring to the table. It's not going to be a week to week basis. There are going to be a lot of single digit point fantasy weeks from them, but I also expect these guys to hit that boom percentage a handful of times Uh, for Donovan people's Jones. uh, As you know, how I feel about the walking injury that is Ardell Beckham jr. Uh, and the, him elevating inside of that offense once Otto Beckham gets hurt will be really interesting, particularly late in the year. And KJ Hamler is fast, as you got to see in that preseason game when he cooked the Vikings. So has not, not a complete receiver. Obviously, he's got a lot of other competition there, but he is somebody that I can see having though, a few of these games where he has you know three catches for two touchdowns and all of a sudden elevates himself into your third wide receiver, maybe even higher spot on your roster. So those are two guys I would keep an eye on going outside the top 80 right now. Uh, And two tight ends I'd keep an eye on. One of them is still the most undervalued player in fantasy, and that's Austin Hooper, who's going as tight end 23 because we're not paying attention. I I, I just, okay. I'm going to leave every fantasy draft that you guys are not in with Austin Hooper. 
Like, I just know this because I'm going to take him in like the third to last round and everybody's going to forget about him and I don't have to worry about drafting a tight end. Uh, yeah. I think Austin Hooper is going to put up tight end one number. Other than that one crazy so, Browns fan that takes him in the seventh round and in that one league that we all have. No, they'll but, take Njoku yeah. or something. Like, yeah. they'll, they'll, <laughs> yeah, they'll toss themselves into Njoku for the third year in a row. Um, I, am glad you're the, a, I am glad you're aware, though, that if we are all in a league together, that you're not getting any of the players that you want. I'm glad yeah, that you're I know, at I know. least self-aware yeah, enough. I'm aware. Okay. I'm aware. I know, I know how this works. By the way, this is how it works in every league I play in now. Because everybody, yeah. I, there's, I have no secrets. So I play in all the leagues. Where I have no secrets. That doesn't necessarily, you know, it is what it is. But everybody knows my guys who I like and guys who I don't like and all that other fun stuff. Uh, the other tight end that I'm, I'm keeping an eye on that's really a deep sleeper going right now as the tight end 46 is Kylan Granson. And that's a name I've been talking about for a few months now. I know there's a lot of concern in Indy with the quarterback situation, but Carson Wentz isn't dead. He's just hurt and bad. But at some point, he's going to come back. They're going to use multiple tight ends. Kylan Granson is an absolute mismatch as a rookie. I think he, he's he's impressed from from OTAs to training camp. Like We're just continuing to see and hear about his progression there. I think he's going to have a role there. This would be a deep last-round pick at best, but he is somebody that I'm keeping an eye on as a player that I think could be a really intriguing option uh, because I, he's going to be more of the pass catch. Well, Jack Doyle is more of the do it all tight end. I think Kylan Granton is going to be more of the pass catching tight end. And I'm really interested to see what kind of role he has, because I do think they're going to run more two tight end sets there in Indianapolis. than we've become used to in the last couple of years. I got like four names that have popped in my head since we've been sitting here that I, <laughs> Deshaun Jackson, still one of them. He's yep. still a thing. He's in, he's out with a bigger arm than he's probably ever played with at this point. In Los Angeles, Scotty Miller pops in my head in Tampa. Mm -hmm. There's another guy in Tampa that would be a deep sleeper, but they love Jalen Darden. If there is an injury in Tampa to this receiving core that's so deep. Now, this guy might not ever play, but he's going to have a package every week. They love this kid. He can go deep. I can see him really, really booming. And then Henry Ruggs, the forgotten guy with all that talent yeah. in Las Vegas. That's another guy that has to be used more than he was. And Busty boomed a couple times last year. I can see that happening a lot more. But it, basically, I'm, I'm thinking that go all the way back in my dad's offenses to like Mike Wallace, J.J. Nelson, that guy that they're going to take a couple shots that could go three for 120 in the touchdown or two. That Deshaun Jackson role is really like I want two of those guys on my bench every week. They might be irrelevant, but there's a couple weeks they, they're going to like that's my my normal risk mitigation would be very low in my regular league on this. I want those guys. I want that. Yep. Those teams that are going to take those shots every week and they have that guy that can get it. I, I, I want that. They're going to hit it two or three times for you in, in one year can make, could be the difference. Yeah. And that's all you need. You don't need them to do it on a regular basis. You just need to have them on your team the week that they do it, right? The two or three weeks yeah. that they do it. Uh, anything else before I wrap up and tease what we are doing next week? No, I, I think the, the only thing that I would would put up is just a reiteration of what we just said and is understanding when you start to take these risks because you can't fill your entire bench with the players we just talked about because you're going to you're going to be at a disadvantage but when you're talking about the last couple spots on your bench that is when you start to take these risks that is when you start to look at who could potentially be a difference maker for me right now don't draft a player with no upside those five points a week are never going to hit your lineup who has a chance to be a difference maker for me and have a couple of those guys at most on your bench. Yeah, I missed. Don't start doing your research now, man. Like if you haven't started getting your emails that your leagues are back formed and all that kind of stuff, get the juices flowing for the fantasy stuff because like it's time to start doing the mocks and get ready. You're a few next weeks week on this show. Next week on this show, 
Fantasy bold predictions for both the AFC yes. and the NFC. We start with the AFC on Monday, and then on Wednesday it is the NFC. Uh, now the way that this is going to work is Jamie is 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 he's going to have predictions for all the teams, and then Jake and I will have ours for whatever teams. If we want to do all of them, if we want to just do some of them, because it could end up being a two-hour show if we all have a prediction for every team. So we're going to play it by ear, but there will be fantasy predict bold predictions made for all of these teams. Uh, next week so that should be a lot of fun uh, Jamie where can everybody find uh, you on social media and where can everybody find your updated running back rankings that have DeAndre Swift lower uh, than where he was a week ago where can everybody find us you happy about that Chris so uh, can I tell a quick story before you tease no. your social media That's good, do it. No, I, uh, so I'm driving home last night I was I was hanging out with some friends and I just get a message and this is six o'clock Arizona nobody time. wants to associate with you Chris so this is late for Jamie. This is like past work hour. So this is like when I hear from Jamie this late, I think there's something there's something wrong. And he's like, I just want you to know that I have officially moved DeAndre Swift down in my running back rankings. I hope you're happy. Those were the messages that got sent to me. So he has moved down in the rankings because Jamie understands that I am right on this about DeAndre Swift. Uh, Jamie, where can everybody follow you on social media? <sighs> yeah. I, by the way, I, I believe my exact phrasing was you jerk. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was called. You the left jerk. that yeah. part out. No, yeah. um, after that pregnant pause there. Uh, look, uh, you can you can all. By the way, it's not just running backs, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, kickers, defenses, and updated projections too. Uh, when I do these updated rankings, it's because there's usually a change in my projections. So all of that is available under the fantasy tab at thedraftnetwork.com. Uh, please check that out and check me out on Twitter at Jamie Eisner and on Instagram at Jamie Eisner TDN. You can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake B. Arians. You can follow him on Instagram at Arians NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at Shoe Radio. Follow the show on Twitter at TDN Fantasy. And again, as Jamie mentioned, the draftnetwork.com underneath the fantasy tab is where you can find all of fantasy football rankings and projections and all of that content is up there. Everybody have a great weekend. We will talk to you on Monday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.